0: for 50% off, visit RosettaStone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at RosettaStone.com slash StarTalk today.
1: Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. This week we This week we're bringing you a special sort of mashup episode. This week we've got a special mashup episode for you. It's all about life on Mars. What would it be like if humans lived there? Ate there? and more importantly, played there. We wrangled clips from across the StarTalk podcast network, StarTalk All-Stars, Playing With Science, StarTalk TV, and of course, the original flagship, StarTalk Radio. The Martian by Andy Weir planted an image of human life on Mars in the public imagination. And I remember the movie. I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Living there, eating there, surviving there. And so we have to ask, is that image scientifically accurate? Let's find out in our first clip featuring Bill Nye, Andy Weir, Eugene Merman, Maeve Higgins, and NASA planetary science director, Jim Green.
2: I came up with this idea for an astronaut stranded on Mars, but I wanted everything to be physically accurate just because I always get taken out of a story when I see some blatant physical inaccuracy. The
3: book is fairly accurate, too, right? Or very accurate? Oh, the book's delightful in many ways. But, you know, it is... (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, uh,
4: uh. Sorry, Sorry. I meant to say,
3: is the book delightful (laughs) scientifically? (laughs) Uh, let me think about that. So, you know, it's science fiction. There are things in the book that, uh, you know, we don't find on Mars. Not yet, anyway. Might happen uh, for example. From, oh. Well, Matt Damon's not on there. Yeah.
5: <laughs> but there is a guy from Boston.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Probably buried. Is that what you meant? Buried somewhere on Mars? So, um, Yeah, from the big dig. <laughs> Turns out that's but, where but, Jimmy Hoffa is. The dust storm. The dust storm. Okay, you yeah. know, Mars has famous, famous dust storms. They go, you know, global sometimes. You can see them with telescopes from Earth, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they it look obscures the entire planet space sometimes. But, um, but in reality, the pressure is so low. How low is it? It's very low. <laughs> it's about 1,200. two hundred about 7 Yeah! 100%. One, two hundred of what we have, you know. And so, although the winds can be pretty hefty, it can be 120 miles an hour. But that's not enough to straighten an American flag, let alone blow away a you know, radio dish. Because there's so few molecules going that way. <laughs> right, that's right. You,
0: so, you, so you did Did you have trouble watching the movie with all its lies then? No, absolutely not. Were you like, another lie,
3: another lie. <laughs> Stop <laughs> lying to me, Ridley. <laughs>
2: Oh, you're going to put it on Ridley? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I could.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Well, freaking rigid. Now, what you gotta <laughs> that do... That book's
0: accurate.
3: Delightfully so. <laughs> Delightfully so. But you you gotta check the science at the door and go on in and enjoy it. It's it's enjoyable. It's great. You're you know, I do that kind of stuff all day job, long. Why do I want to yeah. sit in but the movie horror. theater and think about some more of it? <laughs> Andy, as nerd man, nerd you man. had to work out some serious scientific problems.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, yes, absolutely. The uh, the dust storm is, or the sandstorm is inaccurate. And I knew that at the time. I just didn't care. Um, I wanted a good reason to strand him there. And at the time I wrote it, most people didn't know that. Like, most people thought that a sandstorm on Mars. But then, because The Martian got so popular and became a very popular movie and then got a bunch of scientists talking about it, now everybody knows a dust storm on Mars can't do that. So but I shot myself cool. in the foot. It was, you blew the thing over and yes. you couldn't see. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, what are those chunks, by the way, that were coming out? You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. Space but, um, debris. One of my favorite yeah. things. This is how JPL almost ruined everything. Um, when I, uh, well, you know, I wrote the book. It was done. It was already in final editing. I can't make any more changes or uh, other than like copy editing and you know, and and like at that point like they were deciding. They had it down to the final four candidates of where they're going to land Curiosity. They eventually landed it, you know, near Mount Sharp and Gale Crater. But um, you know, one Mount of the Sharp. Mount, Sharp, Mount Sharp Gale Crater. on Cater. Mars. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on the Mars. big one. Right on Mars. <laughs> Method, which okay, is which is thousands and thousands of kilometers away from all the things that happen in the Martian, not a problem. One of the final four candidates on where they were thinking about landing, it was Marth Vallis, which Mark drives through. Like, I specifically call it out in the book. He drives through yep. this ravine, right. Marth Vallis. He would have had to have gone around the rover to keep going. And I'm like, oh, you guys are killing me with your stupid real stuff. And then my, my, but my favorite little... little it's uh, like
3: they didn't even take that into account. It's like they... <laughs> you know...
2: Nobody asked me. Yeah, I don't know what
3: I was thinking. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, so, Jim, what did I make the final decision? No, actually, I didn't. But we were down to the last four, and I loved any one of those. So, so my boss did, and that was um, uh, Ed Weiler at the time. And uh, So, yeah, everybody,
2: this is the real guy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> so, just so we're clear... Just so we're clear, the character in the book, Venkat Kapoor, who is in the movie Vincent Kapoor, that's he holds that position in the real NASA. So, if you're curious, <laughs> that's who he is. So, are yeah. so tax dollars at work—that's <laughs> right—and <clears throat> they work too. <laughs> but um, what, what one other, my favorite little, you know, stories of like you know, space research, screwing with me is um, the uh, the University of Arizona that runs the High Rise Instrument. <laughs> high-resolution camera. Um, orbiting orbiting apparently, we have like four of their alumni here today. But, four people um, who are anyway, great at clapping. They, they,
4: in, they in just the got book, the joke Bill made ten minutes ago. In, in,
2: in the book, uh, yeah, well, they're U of A, I mean, but Somebody got it, yeah. But um, in the book, I give the exact latitude and longitude of the Hab. And so the Hab is the, hab- the, the Habitat. The Habitat, the, 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 the base where most of the Martian takes place, where Mark Watney is Stranded where, where, where they are. The Their ha- landing the site. Habitat. Um, yeah. And, um, and so I described the terrain as being kind of flat and sandy. There's not much going on in Acidalia Planitia. It's a large empty desert and stuff like that. And the guys who run high rise are like, let's check. And so they did these super high rise photos of the <laughs> Habs location on the real Mars. And they're like, well, that's nothing like he described it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but Ridley got it right. You know, because yeah, there with the, some yeah, beautiful craters right right around where that hat would be. And, yeah, and, and the scenery looks great. Yeah, it does. Those, must, those people almost
5: hate Star Wars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost. <laughs> so they don't have good resolution on galaxies far, far away. <laughs> they don't have, we don't have a camera for that yet. Yeah, we're working on it.
3: Okay, thank right. you. So the guy's on Mars. He's got a lot of food. Because there were supposed to be six people, but he's only one?
2: Yeah, um, and they left, in the book, they left after six days of a planned 31-day mission, and they had redundant food supplies. So he had enough food to last about 400 souls. A soul is a day on Mars, for the four of you who don't know that. Um, and, um, well, three of you and one of her, <laughs> Wait, I I, have, uh,
3: I know it is
0: that, but why is that? Why is it called a soul?
2: Soul is Latin for sun. It just means, uh, because... Day is an ambiguous term. Day to scientists means the time it takes Earth to rotate once on its axis. Just Earth. So Mars rotating on its axis—that's one Martian soul. I remember Uh (laughs) during the disco
3: era. uh, A different soul. That's right. right. (laughs) Different
2: soul. soul. The Soul Train.
3: (laughs) Tell us what Studio Fifty Four was like, Bill.
2: I don't remember, man.
3: (laughs) Yeah, he was there. Still the science high guy. Bill,
2: Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill.
3: Stereotypes. You you don't always do that well with the ladies. This stereotypical male (laughs) in here. I know, it's shocking.
1: In our next clip, I chat with Chuck Nice, astronaut Mike Massimino, And author, Mary Roach, about handling waste on Mars. And an unusual space snack. We came off the segment talking about food, comfort food. What's your favorite? It, it, you you love the lasagna, but that, lasagna is not comfort food. For, for an Italian
6: some. kid, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Uh, macaroni and cheese. You got mac and Sh- cheese? Uh, shrimp cocktail is a favorite. I don't know if that's comfort food. I really don't know what comfort food is. To I me, mean, it's food. Shrimp you, you cocktail. Anything. Comfort food for the bushes, yes. All right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, we have hamburgers. Uh, <laughs> comfort food for the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on how well you are. You want some good food. The idea idea of, of wanting to look out the window and not worrying about food, that's when you're applying to get on the mission. Yeah, I don't need food. I'll eat granola bars. But after you get assigned, you're going to want to eat. <laughs> so the quality of the food is going to have to be pretty good, I think.
1: And, Chuck, you said the Jamaicans would. Why would they make good astronauts? Because, because, think about it, man.
0: You, you know, everything that you need to deal with, your stress and food. Issues are taken care of with one little Rasta puff. <laughs> what I do tell you, what I you how that works. Yeah, if you're if you're if you fellow astronauts on your hey, man, go ahead and smoke these. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm
1: yeah. guessing there's no smoking in space.
0: Yeah,
6: there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's not just that, but there's a few issues there. I don't know if we <laughs> yeah. want to go there. But it <laughs> okay. might not be an easy. It might sound like an easy solution, but, but not uh, not really. It might not work as well as you, you what, think. We we, we space we, flight we, is tough in that way. There's we just put it in a
0: pouch. You add water and put it in the oven. No
1: smoking. No smoking necessary. No comment. That's right. We we'll put them in brownies. So what's fun is if you create a Mars settlement. There's food you might bring, but maybe you don't want to bring food. You bring seeds. You bring sort of baby animals, and then you sort of raise livestock on Mars. That way, the astronauts wouldn't. They didn't have a real burger. You know, you can have like Kobe beef on Mars, maybe. No. I interviewed Mary Mary Roach, author of Packing for Mars. Let's see what she says about Mars settlements. I think we know enough about space we don't have to send animals to Mars first. What a waste of money that would be.
7: No, no, nobody's going to do that. Unless Mm -hmm. someone decides there was this wonderful paper from a 1964 conference on space nutrition and related waste issues. Okay, he
1: (laughs) That's the title of the conference? That's the
7: title of the conference. If you were to bring livestock to Mars, like if you're going to bring animals and have ranching going on, what would be the best species to bring in terms of how much it costs to launch them versus how many calories you get? And he did an analysis of cows. I would
1: include taste in there, too. Somehow quantify taste. I don't
7: think he did because the winner was mice. Mouse stew. Ew. Yeah.
1: So mice are more efficient.
7: That's what he determined, that you should I can't launch believe mice. That. I
1: can't, you know why I can't believe it? Because There's
7: not much meat on a that's mouse. That's what I'm saying.
1: I once ate a squirrel when I was in yeah. Texas. There's barely any meat on a squirrel. You know there's nothing on a mouse. You got
7: to, well, you got to take it up with Max Clybur.
1: Could it be that mice, they have a very short gestation period, so they yeah. can multiply their generations very quickly?
7: That could have been it. But just think of the steer. Talk about waste issues.
1: No, then it's fertilizer for the plants that you're going to grow.
7: Or it becomes radiation shielding because you want your hydrocarbons. So
1: manure being radiation shield.
7: NASA has a device down at Ames that can take...
1: Ames Research Center in California.
7: Yes. It's kind of like an easy-bake oven where you would take... (laughs) waste material and could plasticize it in a tile and you could line the capsule with that on your way home you'd use that for radiation you take Jeez. animal
1: poop put it in an easy bake oven or human yeah Well, human. humans are animals human. and so it hardens yeah.
7: it becomes a tile like you know like the ceiling tiles
1: and so you line your craft with this it's
7: a good radiation and
1: doesn't it smell i mean you mean have I to coat it,
7: it. It's, it's sealed in plastic
1: but it is interesting because if you go to another place you're thinking you're going to take food that you would be comfortable with eating and might want to sustain okay. So it'd be like right. an arc, right? You wouldn't just yeah. take a cow. You'd take a cow and a bull. No, more likely a cow and bull sperm, right? Right, right. Okay, because bull rice, sperm weighs rice, less rice, than a cow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just did the math on that one. That's <laughs> just how that works. <laughs> so, so Mike, mm-hmm. if you could, if you eat
6: mouse stew, would you? If that's all you would eat, would you go to Mars? Uh, that's what I would say when I, if that was my interview question of where I could go. Yes. And then after I got assigned to the mission, I wouldn't be eating any mouse. Right.
0: <laughs> Boy, mice cannot catch a break. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you. God.
1: No, we're not eating mice. We're not eating mice. telling you. Uh, you know, it's just it's just interesting using animal waste to line the aircraft because there's still this radiation problem unsolved.
6: Yeah, you know, I I think it shows the way you have to think out of the box for these uh, for this type of trip. Uh, and, and any crazy idea might seem a little bit nutty. You need to to think about if it's going to help you. You need to think creatively. That's, and,
0: that's more like thinking out of the butt, not out of the box.
6: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Come, I can't hold it together. The crappy shields are <laughs> crappy <cropping> out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quick poop, we're in danger. <laughs> We need more poop. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. I'm trying to give some credence to it.
8: (laughs) This podcast is supported by FedEx,
9: Welcome
1: back to Star Talk. This week is a special mashup edition. You're going to hear clips from our favorite discussions across the Star Talk network. So let's get right back to it.
6: Hello, this is Mike Massimino talking to you from Star Talk All Stars. I guess I'm actually an All Star. Yeah. I haven't been an All Star since I was 13 years old in Little League. <laughs> that was 40 years ago. But I'm an All Star again and your host tonight. And I have with me my friend. Wait, can I call you my friend? Yes, please. Maeve Higgins is my new friend. No, we're friends. <laughs> and she is a tremendous, great space enthusiast, but more important, a comedian. So she's going to keep us laughing. Thank you for being here.
4: No, thank you for having me.
6: You bet. And I'm very excited because a good friend of mine who I work with at the Johnson Space Center, John Charles, really smart guy. Mm-hmm. He's a scientist. He's actually a chief scientist. Oh, so
4: there's scientists and then there's chiefs.
6: There's, there's scientists and then there's chiefs.
4: Mm-hmm. And there's like baby and, scientists. And, and you
6: got to grow up to be a chief. You don't start out as a chief. They, they check you out and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to make this guy a chief. And John is a really smart, well-spoken genius, although he'll never say this, but he certainly is. He's the head of our uh, NASA human research program, chief scientist for the NASA human research program, trying to get people to the moon, to Mars, off the planet, far away and taking care of them.
4: Whoa! Thanks for making time to talk to us, two bozos, John.
6: John Charles. Tell you what, Mike, with an intro like that, I'm—I'm glad I made it. (laughs) I'm really glad that you're here, and we're going to talk about what it takes to get people to Mars. People on Mars. That's right. People like you and me—maybe not you and me, but people like us, real people. But John, what did you think about the movie *To Mars*? I'm sure you get questions all the time about that. What was your opinion?
5: Well, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was probably the best space movie since 2001. And uh, we can argue about whether mm. it was better than 2001. My wife says she prefers not to go to space movies with me because uh, all I do is huff and puff and roll my eyes audibly, during the, usually during the entire movie. But she said I would beha- I behaved myself well this time. You know, Andy has said that the, the opening event, you know, the, the, the wind that, that blows everything around and causes the problem, couldn't happen on Mars. The atmosphere is too thin and the dust is not sandy, grainy, granular like that. It's, it's more the, 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 the texture of smoke particles. And he said, uh, I asked him that question during a and a one time, and he said, yes, I know, but I needed to start the movie somehow, and that's how I chose to do it. And did, it you turned just, out okay. did
4: you just show up at a and a like a regular citizen? Like, he didn't know that you had all this, like, oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. No,
5: no, no. <laughs> He actually came to Johnson Space Center and did series of, a series of book talks and Q&As for huh. all of us nerds. So he was very well prepared for the
6: audience, and we all loved him. Yeah, John was a plant.
4: Yeah, yeah. Going here and say, "Hey,
6: <laughs> what was wrong?" But that was, and, and the EVA scene, the spacewalking scene, in the end. As soon as you mentioned that, my uh, my son and I saw it together. And he said the same thing. Was was Dad, what kind of spacewalk are they doing? He, even my son, you know, my son was picked up on it
4: yeah. yesterday. Yeah.
6: It was very unprofessional the way they were untethered at the end. <laughs> you
4: were like, but wasn't it cool when he pulled the antenna out of it? Right,
6: I said, yeah, damn, don't worry about that. Matt Damon was a cool astronaut. This one's approved. Got I mean, it's good. Suit.
4: It must be great, like, PR, right? Like, that's like my, you know, when you see a great movie about space, like, it makes you think highly of NASA for some I, reason. I think
6: so. What do you think, Joe? I think that was that was good for us,
5: wasn't it? I agree. I, I, we, got a lot, we certainly used it for a lot of publicity. We, we mm. tried to link a lot of the one-year mission uh, space station work to it and, and uh, things like that. So, yeah, I thought
6: it was great. Johnny, but there's also the serious part to what the movie portrayed, which was how do you keep a crew alive? Now, he was in a survival situation, mm-hmm. but still there there must be a lot of parallels that, with the work you're doing to what you saw in that movie, right? It's food and water and life support and so on, yeah?
5: Exactly. Well, I mean, the, the food was, was uh, one of the... Actually, the potato was like another supporting actor in the in the whole movie. And uh, That's your buddy... Like in
4: the whole history of Ireland. Right?
5: But, but Mike, your pal, potatoes Don Pettit. Potatoes are
4: huge for us.
5: <laughs> have you heard what Don Pettit said about potatoes in space, though, Mike?
6: No, Don, Don Pettit is one of my best friends. Oh. Uh, and a very entertaining guy and a genius. What? Very rare for an astronaut, let me add. You know. like, what, what, you what, Don, what, what did he say this time?
5: Don Pettit said he's never seen a potato on the space station or on the shuttle that it was not sliced and had its eyes cut out. So there's no yeah. way a potato on this, uh, in space would have been able to grow mm. and, and
6: produce more potatoes. But Don Don did actually grow stuff in space, and they are growing stuff on space. But Don right. Don grew his own. He grew a sunflower, and he grew a, did he? a squash. Yeah, that it was kind of on his own, wow. but uh, but he did his own little. Exp- but they have grown also lettuce on yeah. the space station
5: on purpose, as well. Yeah, we, on we purpose. We have special yeah. seeds. We fly up to do that. That kind of research
6: to eventually lead to growing. No, fresh I knew food it was on
4: purpose. Life. I didn't think it was like an accidental. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, <laughs> so,
6: <laughs> some guys grew. Some astronauts might do things because they're interested on their own experiments. Oh. But this was the the lettuce was a real growing right. the lettuce was a real uh, project. Yeah, that right. they had and it was successful. So you right. can't. To grow your own food in space.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, and
6: then, it, they the and then you eat the results. And then eat yeah. the results, and they're good, hopefully. Uh, what, go ahead, man. I
4: was just going to ask about water. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. One. Like, how how on earth could you provide water for people on Mars? Could you find it there? What's going to happen there?
5: Well, you have to bring it with you, probably, mm-hmm. at least the starter kit for water. And then the, the, the point is, uh, with any luck, you can generate water out of uh, in situ uh, resources and of course what you have on mars in situ is carbon dioxide it's a very thin atmosphere but it's almost completely carbon dioxide yeah and, and uh, if you bring along the right kind of of uh, machinery that knows how to, to crack carbon dioxide and if you brought along a tank of hydrogen with you you can get oxygen and water out of the reaction of carbon dioxide and hydrogen uh, using chemistry that is far beyond my capability to explain but but it's a possibility. So if you're if you're there for the long term, you got to plan ahead and br- either bring stuff with you or make it from uh, local resources.
6: You're also going to recycle it, aren't you, John? I mean, exactly. that's what right, that's what we're doing on this as my friend Don Pettit who we referred to earlier yeah. describes, today's coffee is tomorrow's coffee. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> right you you drink something, yeah, you pee great. it and then you drink it again. Yeah. With, with right. that explains up
4: starbucks
6: between. there's a couple steps in between here by the way but <laughs> uh but that's going to be the plan too i would assume right john <laughs> exactly right exactly and so, what would it look if- like
4: to live like where would you live in Mar? like what would it look like what would your you know i was going to say tent that's because i've seen the the movie but like what would like where would you sleep and live habitat your habitat yeah, yeah that's the word
5: yeah, the habitat would probably look very much like, uh, like you saw in the movie, and that was actually based on a habitat that we're doing studies in on the ground, which was, of course, uh, primarily designed for studies uh, back in the deserts. So it's probably going to look something like a, a, a repurposed spaceship. It might be inflatable. It might be rigidized. Uh, it, certainly, we're we're only not just now doing research on the right way to do that. So there's no final answer yet. It sounds they'll like they'll the Burning Man
4: festival. I don't know if you ever sent anybody on a research trip to Burning Man, where you have to like bring your own water and tents, and everyone is really spaced out.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Woodstock.
9: This is Star Talk.
4: Welcome
3: to the Space Olympics, the year 3022. Take
4: part in a grand tradition. Your in the arms of the universe.
8: Today we enter Twitterdom through the vast multiverses of Neil deGrasse Tyson's mind and light up the cerebral spheres that engage with the complex and ever-evolving world of sports.
0: Yeah, so uh, did, you, did you change your meds? Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson has many opinions and many things which he chooses to share on a regular basis, but he has a heartfelt connection to sports that's constantly filtered through his scientific lens on Twitter. So when you
8: play with science, there can be no better play date than the man himself and to take us to sports that are out of this world. Out of this world sports? Yes, indeed. Out of this world sports, we have Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, (laughs) thanks for joining us right now. It's the
0: one, the The only, only, the inevitable Neil DeGrasse deGrasse
8: Tyson!
1: Like that? Scared? That's Where'd right. you get the gong? <laughs> oh my gosh! Normally that's how you get someone off the stage, right? I saw the gong show.
0: All righty, no, no, don't, don't take it personally. Uh, no, that is uh, that is a royal entrance right there. That's what the gong is for. Now, normally I'm sitting
1: there. That's right, sir. Now <laughs> you just took you just took your own damn show. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a guest on your damn show. Weirding you out. Are you comfortable? Are you okay? I'll get I'll get used to it. That's all right. All right. It doesn't happen without you, no matter what, happen, though.
8: What's up? Neil's going to start asking us questions. He won't be able to help himself. Yeah, no, I'll I'll happily
1: be your
0: guest on this show. Yeah, that's when, please don't ask us any questions. It it means I feel loved. Uh, I feel loved. Yeah, it's very cool. Thanks for being here, man. We appreciate it. And of course, you are a
1: prolific tweeter. This is from the 2012 Olympics. All right. I said, how about a Mars Olympics? Yes, all athletes would suffocate. <laughs> Ignoring that complication, way cooler than an Earth Olympics, that's all. Oh. Way cooler than an Earth Olympics. we oh, oh, setting I you see. up for tweets that follow Yes, up, I was going to say, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. when
0: you say way cooler, then you actually give us some examples of why mm-hmm. an Olympics on Mars, or pretty much any sporting
1: event... On Mars might be cool. Might it's be also a couple hundred degrees below zero on Mars, so way cooler has double meaning there. Ah. Uh, no, okay.
8: I, think we, I think we picked that you one picked up. Pick
1: that up, okay. <laughs>
8: all right, so let's
0: look at one of the Mars uh, tweets, and this is cycling on Mars. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. All, right. all right. All right, so go ahead. All right, so uh, this is again during the, the summer 2012 Olympics. If there was cycling on Mars, try Olympic Mons, a volcanic mountain five times taller than Mont Blanc in the Alps. Wow. So you think you got tall mountains here. No, the tallest mountains and the deepest valleys are not on Earth the, in the solar system. They're, they're on Mars, they're on the moon, so we ain't got no, we, we, nothing. Yeah, we right. We're, yeah, we're, not, okay, well, we're because, not winning those contests.
8: Because you know this, the atmosphere on Mars is how much less than the Earth's atmosphere? It's
1: about one one-hundredth, oh, yeah. So if we had that- pressure atmospheric pressure. pressure. So in other words for every breath you take on Mars there's 1/100th one the amount of air in that breath. And it would
8: be on as an Earth. athlete altitude becomes your enemy. In terms of the oxygenation. If you're breathing.
1: performing in altitude, but yeah. the ideal way to do this is you train in altitude yes. and mm. then compete at sea level. Right.
0: What we need to do is get to that's Mars. that's why Sherpas yeah. don't have any problem getting up the mountain while all the tourists are like, <gasps> <gasps> <sighs> that's right. all the I baggage. Need, right. Yeah. I need more oxygen. Here's what you do.
1: If Even better. Train on Mars. I'm going to make a suggestion that's never been made before. You ready? Yeah, here we are. You drain the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Oh. And then hold the Olympics at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. At, but you train at high altitude, but now you compete at the, the bottom, length, of the, the which bottom is of the trench. six miles down. Now every breath of air has way more oxygen right. than at sea level. And so now uh, you have heroic feats before. You don't even have to dope your blood. Mm. The air itself will put the
8: oxygen, right there, force it
1: right into your
0: lungs. I'm sure the IOC are
8: going to stump up for that
0: draining. Of the... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I just like the fact that you're thinking like a super villain.
8: <laughs> let's let's I'd have gone the other Pacific way and said, Ocean. let's all go train on Mars mm-hmm. on the um, on the mountain on the
1: Olympic Mons and come back to Earth and compete. Problem is, it's only forty percent the gravity of Earth, so you're, the weight that you are carrying is not as much going up the hill. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there, so, so there is some, the, trade-off
0: there. There's some there's
1: trade-offs. Some there. trade-offs. There's some trade-offs. There. There. Some leaded suits. Oh yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Led, 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 yourself down. Yeah. Uh, another thing: once you've drained the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with sports. Just while we're on the topic, if you drain <laughs> the Pacific Ocean, that is the great toilet bowl of dead satellites. Oh really? Yes. Oh yeah, because they always splash down in the Pacific. Oh, no, they crash down in the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's true. a dead satellite. They're not splashing. They they they're not crashing. splashing down. They're they crashing come. down. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. So the reason why is the Pacific Ocean is almost a third of all possible longitudes on Earth. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you deorbit and you do it. You have a lot of latitude, no pun intended, to where you begin the deorbit so that it's going to plunk down in the Pacific Good, no matter right. what. And, and people don't live there, so not over the great bulk of the expanse. Right. So it's a safe place to drop your stuff out of orbit. The day we deorbit Hubble, it's going straight into the it's Pacific. It's going into the, sp- yeah, sp- the Pacific Ocean. Hubble, and it's the size of a Greyhound bus, by the way, if you wow. know. Nice. Hubble telescope. All
0: right. Oh, yeah. So this is one of my mm. favorite. Okay. Uh, you, uh, we, we actually talked about this in in a different form. On Star Talk,
1: uh, and it's swimming on Mars. Okay, so here it is again. Yeah. In the same, same week. Uh, if there was swimming on Mars, the low temperature and low air pressure would force the pool to simultaneously freeze
8: and boil. Sweet. That, how many hours does Michael does Phelps have to train <laughs> to, 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 to cope with freezing and boiling simultaneously? Because he's up to about fifty thousand. There hours. it is, gurgling, and there are chunks of ice, ice in, there in
1: there as the well. So yeah. at the exact at the same time. So can you explain that? So the, yeah. the it's, I wonder how you get to that situation. How do you get to that situation? Okay, so in in chemistry and physics as well, it's called the triple point. Okay, so which is a cool name. Yeah, the triple yeah. point of a of a substance is the point where it is happy being solid, liquid, and gas all at the same all time. All at the same time. Okay? So now, now, that sounds freaky because yes. it's outside of our common life experience. Right. But it's less so than you might think. Go on, okay? Then. So, take a look at um, uh, dry ice, okay, CO2. Right. Okay. That's in a double point of its state. So yes. it is simultaneously a solid
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a vapor. Right. It's happening all at once. Yes. Okay? You open the thing up, the vapor comes out, and it's solid. Right. So that's a double point that it's occupied. Right. That's not as interesting as the triple point. But it, it does make for awesome concerts. So here, <laughs> uh, so here's how—I I, awesome. I think they use other smoke for that, rather. I, I think there's other— They do. They got that done. They used to use dry ice back in the day, but you're right. They use smoke machines now. What, 80 years ago, Yeah. <laughs> 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 when Twisted Sister performed <laughs> in aught <laughs> in, in three, you know, so, so here's how it works. You know that when you go to high altitude, yeah. it affects cooking times because water boils at a lower temperature. Right, you know this. Instead of 212, if we're all using imperial units, uh, it could it could boil at 200 degrees or 180 degrees. Okay. So you have to increase the cooking time because the food is not at the high temperature for as long, and you can't get boiling water hotter than the temperature that it's boiling at. Right. All right. One of the earliest experiments I did with my kids, so they understood this. You, I, I would start boiling a pot of water. I say I give them a thermometer. Say measure the temperature. And it's like 100 degrees. Three minutes later, measure it again, 110 degrees, 120. They keep doing this. And I say, there's heat going into it. They say, yep, we see the flame. Uh, they, my kids are like 6 and 7 and 8. So then it's like 200 degrees. They check it again, 205, 210, 212. Okay, 10 minutes later, measure it again. Two Still 212. Two 212. Where's the energy going? Right. Oh, my gosh, it stops going because water, and at that, air pressure. Right. It's got to become it's Got to gas. become a gas. Right. So now you lower the air pressure, the boiling point drops. Right. And the more you lower the air pressure, the lower the boiling point drops. Right. And eventually, the boiling point meets the freezing point of water. Oh. And now you have frozen water, liquid water, and boiling water all in oh, the same, same pot. point. That's exactly.
0: great. Awesome. Hey, sure. before we jump back into this, I just realized something. So, everyone's once you, when you were talking about volleyball on Mars, yeah. burning the skin uh, because there's so no, uh, no, no UV protection. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. By okay. the way, this, this Mars is farther away from the sun than is Earth. Right. So, the, what is it, 1.4, uh, carry, the two. Always carry <laughs> don't, the two. Don't
8: you get it wrong?
1: You'll get, uh, so Mars has about twi- uh, one half the solar intensity than does Mars. So in any given amount of time, all other things being equal, it would take you twice as long to get to get sunburned. But Mars does not have a UV layer. Right. I mean, an ozone Ozone layer. layer. Right, because there's no free oxygen on on Mars. Right. So on Earth, free oxygen is the oxygen we breathe. That's O2. Right. Oxygen binds with itself. The ozone layer high up in the atmosphere is three oxygen atoms. And the reason why that blocks UV, do you ever wonder why, how? I did not. Okay. So this molecule is sitting there fat and happy in the upper atmosphere. Okay. And one of its bonds that binds these molecules together is the same energetics as that of an ultraviolet particle of light, an ultraviolet photon. That's it. Ultraviolet photon comes in. It is just what it needs to bust Uh, it open. Right. So the energy of the light is gone... And it got converted to breaking apart this molecule, right? So, so basically, so the, ate the UV molecule, So that, the UV photon. Right. That 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 actual molecular
0: bond yes. becomes a natural block. block. Like it's it's literally
1: like a like a blocking tap. Literal block. And, and if there's a very close explosion to us in our solar system, okay. supernova, you can calculate. Because it takes a while to regenerate the the ozone, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's a stable layer. You you win some, you lose some. Right. Get remanufactured. Thank you, Al Gore. Okay, Okay. so watch what happens. So if you have a a nearby supernova, which has a lot of UV, Mm -hmm. the waves of UV light take out your ozone, and then the next wave goes through without... Uh, without conflict. Wow. So okay. the first wave... It's just it- like an army. Right. It's exactly like army waves, yeah. waves of armies. And so the ozone can only protect you so much before it has to rebuild itself if you have a, a, a major flux of UV coming in. What's the so, timeline on a rebuild? I have to calculate that. I'd, okay, it, it has many sources. Lightning can actually regenerate. Um, you can put energy back in uh, to recreate this... Um, uh, it's, it's, because different chemical reactions are exothermic and endothermic, and it's the balance of all of these that creates the, chemi- the, the chemical cocktail that is our atmosphere. Nice. So, yeah, yeah so other mechanisms can regenerate it. And I, whatever those mechanisms are, you can construct actual things in the universe that will override them, such as okay. supernova explosions. Yeah. Wow.
8: Any other planets or moons in our solar system with a similar ozone layer? No,
1: because we get our oxygen from life. right. I used to think in Star Trek, oh captain, this is an oxygen nitrogen atmosphere we can go down and breathe it. I said, oh, all we have to do is look around the universe for a planet that ha- that happens to have the, the the chemical mixture that Earth has. Right. And then I realized no, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. It's not that every planet's got its own mixture, it's that Earth has oxygen because we have life. Right. Because yeah. we because the 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 photosynthesis, all the 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 green plants make that oxygen and that then that's like rocket fuel for animals then animals can now rise up metabolize oxygen and we have this harmony of plants and animals Back to Star Talk. This week is a special mashup edition. You're going to hear clips from our favorite discussions across the Star Talk Network. So let's get right back to it.
0: So this is somebody who wants to know about the atmosphere and the gravity on Mars. Mm-hmm. But I love the way that Stephen Matlow uh, phrases this question, somewhat inventive. And this came over which, which this, path? This came over Facebook. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay. Neil, when the New York Yankees play a road (laughs) series against the Mars Cosmos, (laughs) how big will the outfield have to be to prevent everybody from hitting home runs? Also... Will the pitcher throw faster in the atmosphere or slower? And will he or she, this guy's very
1: liberal. Nice. He's got a
0: female pitcher in the major league mm-hmm. interstellar uh, uh, interplanetary. baseball. Inter- interplanetary. Interplanetary, mm-hmm. not interstellar. Interplanetary baseball league. Will sh- Will he or she be able to throw a curve ball? Mm-hmm. And he, um... Take it back. Steven is coming from Livingston, Montana. Livingston, Montana. Yes. Whoa. Yes, flat country. Uh, Now, here's something. Guy never seen a mountain in his life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's called Montana. (laughs) 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 So, uh, I was in Montana recently. I gave a talk in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, really? Yep. 6,000 people showed up for it. Nice. I didn't know that many people
0: lived in Montana. Uh, I think you had the entire state there. (laughs) <laughs> to be and by the way, I was joking about uh mountains because there are mountains in Montana. That's why it's called Montana. Exactly. It's big, a big it, it's big sky. Big sky. It's big sky, but they're mountains. In but uh go ahead. Uh so th-
1: th- here's this question. How uh, I, I got the question. Oh, I remember oh, You read it. Oh, I got it. I have good memory. Me? Excuse me. <laughs> I have an awesome memory from three minutes ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so um a couple of things don't change and other things do. Okay. The pitcher does not throw faster because that's just their musculoskeletal capacity to do so. All right. The ball will not slow down as much between release of the fingertip and crossing home plate because the air is thinner, and there's air resistance to the ball right. that slows it down. I don't know. Maybe 10 miles an hour or five. whatever it is, five miles an hour. It's not traveling for very long, so. It, but it will slow down a little bit. It does that in the majors. Uh, it will do that on Mars, but it'll slow down by a little bit less. A little bit less. But that's not the major thing going on here. The Martian atmosphere is very thin. Gotcha. It's like one percent of our thickness. And it's the air, the movement of the ball through the air that enables it to curve. Right. So curve balls would be very hard on Mars. Because you don't have the
0: air or the thickness of the air. The thickness air of the air. For those those what do they call
1: stitches? Stitches, yes, right. <laughs> is that what they call? that what the the <laughs> they call the stitches on the ball. The stitches, they call the stitches. The they call the stitches <laughs> on the ball. The stitches.
0: But you know that's what's causing that rotation. Well, it, and it, it... assists it. Even it if assists. it didn't have stitches, you'd it, still have you still have some.
1: You could still move it, right? Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: But the stitches help it. Definitely. But
1: without the the thickness of the air, you can't get that movement. Uh, you don't get as much movement. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get as much movement. Now it is windy on Mars so you could throw an awesome knuckleball nice cuz knuckleballs don't rotate and so they're not stable moving through the air right so rotating things are stabilized mm-hmm. uh, you know that's why footballs a uh, rotating football exactly. is stable it's spinning Spinning. okay so uh, a, a knuckleball does not spin therefore it is susceptible to any possible puff of air that comes across its so path so
0: you could use a a windy day knuckleball to create the 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 effect of a curve ball.
1: Well, yeah, but it, it'll it'll curve in a way that you can't predict, and right. that's why catchers are always dropping knuckleballs because gotcha. they don't know where the hell yeah, the, it, the, the, the you know the, the ball's jiggling and wiggling, and, right. and it comes in, and so uh, the number of pass balls past knuckleballs by a by a catcher mm-hmm. is, is huge relative to other pitchers cuz it's a surprise ball. But it's a surprise ball for everybody, right. even the pitcher. A curveball, the catcher calls for the curveball. So they right. know so where he it's, knows what he's doing. Yeah, they know where, where it's coming. So See, so this those is are what different. I love. This is what I love about
0: you, man. I mean, this. I, I swear to god. See, th- this is what's great. We're talking about baseball on Mars, but yet you know all this crap about baseball. <laughs> how does this happen
1: <laughs> no you know what it is it's not like I mean I like who does, I'm uh, I'm a red-blooded American I like me some baseball and hot dogs okay, okay. and apple pie all right so just start there okay, okay so now the rest of it is just because I go to a baseball game and I'm curious about it like I just ask questions of the game and of myself relevant to the game gotcha so for example I say to myself suppose you're hit by a pitch on ball four right you ought to be able to go to second base. <laughs> 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 right, uh, right. <laughs> exactly I'm just saying yeah, true I'm just saying no that makes sense okay. when you think about it um, some, right. these are the kind of questions I asked about the game that's very funny okay. yeah. so Uh, Now, uh, (laughs) we got to get that rule in baseball. That's awesome. Okay. So now, uh, how far, how big a stadium would you have to make? Martian gravity is about 40% of Earth gravity. Okay. So if you weigh 100 pounds on Earth, you weigh 40 40 pounds pounds or 38 pounds on Mars. Gotcha. So 200 pounds, you weigh 80 pounds, which is great because the muscles that you have for carrying a 200-pound body uh, will now be operating in an 80-pound body. So you'll be able to jump higher. Okay. Yeah. You'd be able. To, yeah. So there's. So maybe you'd make the infield a little bigger because you'd be leaping. Uh, you know, you'd have to sort of adjust that. There'd be some trial and error on right. this to get the ideal field size. Now, when you hit a home run, the ball is doing two things: it's going forward and it's going upwards. Up. Right. Okay. And then it finishes going upwards, and then it starts coming downwards while it's still going forwards. Right. Each of those have a different effect. Okay. How far you? How fast you can hit the thing going forward has nothing to do with being on Mars. Okay, that's just how how fast did you swing? Right, it back? that's your that's your swing strength. Okay, it's your swing strength. Now the Mars the ball going up. Okay, the same force will have the ball go higher. Correct than on Earth which means it will travel farther simply because it'll go higher. Right. All right. And so you got to do the math. I haven't done the math on that. So well, I don't, yeah. You, you, I don't have to, if I were to guess, uh, you know, make it 40% bigger. I mean, just as a, oh, yeah, as as a first as, as a general cut, rule. Just a first just cut. Just a first cut. And probably if I do the math, there are some adjustments in there. Right. So a 400 dead center field, a 40% greater than that would be 160 more feet. And is that right? Yeah, four, ten, yeah 160 more feet. So it would be 560 feet dead center. Right. To just to recreate, just the recreate the same likelihood, same likelihood of, of a home run now 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 that means outfield is huge right which means you got to have some fast outfielders that <laughs> is true you might have to add two more outfielders to it yeah, that's, because exactly. it, it, it fans out from home plate right right so if you if it's if it's 560 dead center you know you're you're gonna be missing a lot of balls unless yeah. you be like little league you had a fourth outfielder.
9: <laughs> <laughs> bringing space and science. Down to Earth. You're listening to Star Talk.
7: All I want to be
2: is an We're live from Town Hall,
1: Midtown, New York. Welcome back to Star Talk Live! I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History, right here in New York, where I also serve as the director of the Hayden Planetarium. And I've got with me Eugene Merman, comedian extraordinaire. Eugene, thank you.
6: And with me is John Oliver. England's gift to America.
1: And John, you got this regular gig on the Daily Show. It's I do. Very full. That's, cool.
8: that's right. Normally it would be cooler, but I am sitting with an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> so it only compounds the failure that the six year old <laughs> version of myself.
1: And Annie, Annie Shaken, you become a journalist in your later years, an author writing about space, and a geologist by background, a planetary geologist. Welcome to Star Talk Live. Thank you. You one, the only, the truly inimitable Buzz Aldrin, ladies and gentlemen. Do
7: you think that people would come... You've, we've seen the pictures of what Mars looks like, and I you know, I'm, love Mars as a planet as much as anybody, but to look at it every day with the brown dust and the brown sky, which is the dust floating in the air, do you think people would learn to love that? People who came from the Earth, their children, their grandchildren? would they start to feel like that's home?
9: They will be the most remembered, the most talked about pioneers that have ever Ever. set foot on Earth because they pioneered something that nobody ever did and they carried it out. The leader who makes a commitment for human beings on the planet Earth, how long we've been here, we came down from the trees, whatever, and we've done kind of fiddling things. But all of a sudden... A couple of cool things, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or 5,000 years old, but now, anyway. thousands,
9: <laughs> thousands five, of years in the future, the person on Earth that kind of pushed human beings to go and establish a settlement that began to grow and grow. You don't think that's a small thing in the history of mankind? Oh, I do. But I think I'm asking for the people who are actually living on Mars. Yeah. Will they feel that they are happy happy in their lives? There'll be more movies written about them, more books and everything.
1: I think it's like Leica the dog. Leica died, but it was a much stray dog running through the streets of Moscow. And now it's more famous than like Lassie. Yeah. All right. So if I were a, a mutt dog, I would want to die in space because people would like talk <laughs> about me. You've been listening to a special mashup edition of Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up.